welcome to Worship in the Round, and this is the second in our series of conversations that we're calling The Generous Life, and as we're going to go over later, we can live a generous life because we're made in the image of a generous God. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about the astounding truth about the way the world works. The astounding truth about the way the world works. But before we do that, you know, I was thinking as we were singing, uh, we, all of us, come in with a different um, prayer on our hearts, don't we? Uh, Some of us are praying, how do I get this done? Some of us are praying, how long, Lord? Some of us are praying, why, Lord? Uh, Some of us are praying, help. And the thing is, when when he's here in our presence, he's able to answer all of those prayers uh, for each of us individually. So before we launch this morning, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to meet each one of us where we're seated and uh, in our need. Let's pray. So Lord, some of us this morning... Um, need you to be a God of peace, and you are. And some of us uh, need you to be a God of healing, and you are. Some of us need you to be a God of comfort, and you're the God of all comfort. Some of us need you to be a God of provision, a God of direction, and you are. So this morning... Hear your people, and Lord, uh, in this space, answer our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. We also, Lord, ask that you will uh, break open our chests and massage your truth into our hearts, because we want to hear from you. Yeah, it's been my experience, God, just over and over again, no matter what my prayer is, when I really hear from you, it answers my prayer. So I pray that you would speak. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I was listening to a podcast this week, and uh, I heard a guy say, you know, I sometimes wonder how the world works. I think I missed that day in school, and I, I resonated. I felt exactly like that. I felt like I missed the day in school where they explained how it all works. Why did that work for that person? Uh, Why didn't that work for that person? Why did it work out that way? Why didn't it work out that way? And today we're going to talk about um, the way the world works, at least one aspect of it. I want you to imagine that uh, that was true for us physically. Let's imagine that physically we forgot how the world works. So we forgot, for instance, how gravity works. Let's imagine that we come to the edge of a cliff and we're thinking, you know, I can't remember. Am I supposed to step off of this or am I not supposed to? Step? This could be disastrous for us if we forgot how the world worked physically. The same is true for us relationally and spiritually. If we don't remember how the world works, it can be disastrous for us. So we're going to be uh, uh, talking about how the world works, but let's get a running start. Uh, Last week, if you were here with us last week, you may remember 
that we, we talked about the, the key, the surprising key to our success. And we started off by looking at three reciprocity styles from this guy, from this book, Adam Grant. He's a business professor and a researcher and a best-selling author, and he identifies three different ways that you and I relate to one another. One way is by being a taker, and takers are, they like to get more than they give, they tilt reciprocity in their own favor. And then he identifies matchers, and matchers operate on the principle of fairness. Their relationships are governed by even exchanges of favors. And then he identified givers, and givers are others-focused. They, they tend to provide support with no strings attached. And then through a voluminous amount of research from Adam Grant and also, by the way, from the words of Jesus, we recognize the surprising key to our success is being a giver. Dean, next slide. We said we increase our chances of being successful by increasing our giving quotient. So today, we're going to talk about the... Uh, corollary to this truth. We're looking at the astonishing truth about how the world really works, and, and here it is. The astonishing truth is that givers ultimately gain. Life ultimately works well for givers. Ultimately, we are more blessed when we act like a giver than when we act like a taker. That's the way the world really works. I want you to hear Jesus' take on that in one spot. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this really interesting thing. Follow this with me. He says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. And he elaborates on this one. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this comes from, the image here comes from, uh, imagine you're buying or selling or exchanging grain at, uh, you know, some open market somewhere in ancient Israel. And the way that would work is you would pour the grain into a container. And when that grain was pressed down and shaken, you could get more grain into it. This is an image of abundance. When you give, it will be given to you abundantly. This is the way the world works, according to Jesus. Notice the reciprocity built into this, into this, into the framework of the universe. What you send out returns to you. Do you recognize that? Almost every religion has some kind of concept like that. Uh, some of you who grew up in an Eastern culture, you'll recognize that from Buddhism or Hinduism. I'm going to give you a Wikipedia definition of karma. This is a quote from Wikipedia, and Wikipedia is never wrong. Uh, Wikipedia says, the term also refers to the spiritual principle of cause and effect, often descriptively called the principle of karma, wherein intent and actions of an individual, a cause, influence the future of that individual effect. The, the intent, intent and action of an individual affect the future of that individual. Good intent and good deeds contribute to good karma and happier rebirths. Okay, we can't follow them on that. While bad intent and bad deeds contribute to bad karma. So, 
Is Jesus advocating karma here? Well, look, kind of, yes. <laughs> Let me explain. It's kind of the same idea behind uh, every religion has some version of the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Every religion, every people's recognizes this principle, except for Jesus. This is very, very personal. This isn't, this isn't just some uh, vague fate, uh, how the universe works. God, a personal, generous God, is involved in this process. And this is how the universe works because this is how God designed it. When you give, you will be given too. If you need further evidence, let's just trace through some wisdom literature. We could go through the whole Bible for this principle, but let's just trace through some wisdom literature. Proverbs eleven twenty five, Dean, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Next one, Proverbs 21, 13, whoever shuts their ears to the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Next one, Dean. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. I want you to recognize that in this principle of giving and it will be given to you, God is involved in that. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. God is actively involved in this. God rewards giving. Okay, over three decades... Dr. Shalom Schwartz has studied the values and principles that, that guide peoples in various cultures, their actions and their deeds. And part of that study has been focused on this idea of giving. In one study, Dr. Schwartz surveyed thousands of participants in Australia, Chile, Finland, France, etc. 12 countries in all. He showed them two lists and, and he asks them to identify which list they favor over the other. Uh, one list, uh, he wanted to know which countries had taker values and which country had giver values. So look at these lists, if you would. Now you can see, list one on your left is a list of taker values. They're not all bad. Pleasure, wealth even, winning, List two is a, is a list of giver values, helpfulness, responsibility, social justice, compassion. Takers tend to favor, by an overwhelming percentage, the list on the left. Givers tend to favor the list on the right. Okay, Dean, go to the next slide. This is the list of countries that he surveyed in this original study. Chile, Finland, France, Germany, Israel, Malaysia, the Netherlands, South Africa, Spain, Sweden, USA. Now look at that list. Which countries do you think identified more with the giver side? And which countries do you think identified more with the taker side? Just take a second. Which countries here do you think identified more with the taker side? And which countries do you think identified more with the giver side? And it wasn't close. It was very large percentages. All of them identified with the giver side. In fact, he would ultimately end up surveying 70 countries, thousands of participants, and all of them, by very large majorities, favored the giver side of that list. Obviously, there is something in us that values giving. There's something in us that moves toward generosity. 
So on the one hand, we're not astonished that this is the way the world works. All peoples, all religions have this notion. Deep down, we all know that this is how the world works and something in our wiring works this way, moves us toward generosity, right? And we certainly shouldn't be surprised by the reality that something in our wiring moves us toward generosity. We're just going to flash through a few verses of Scripture, and we could put up many. And I want you to look for a moment and and contemplate the character of God. So let's flash through these, Dean. Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Next one, Dean, John 3.16, we talked about this last week. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will have eternal life. Exodus 34, 6, this is an important one. This is a significant time in the Old Testament when God is showing himself to his people. And, and this is how he shows himself. Pass in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious. And another translation for that word is generous. Gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 65, 9 through 13. Put that one up if you would, Dean. And we could, we could as you know, we could pick from any number of psalms. But, but look at these verses from Psalm. And I'd like you to do something with me if you would. Let's, <clears throat> let's do some spiritual aerobics. Stand with me and let's read this one responsively. If your little people are settled, just leave them right where they are. I'm going to ask you to read the bold and I'll read the light. Let's go together. You care for the land and water. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For, for so you have ordained it. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. He's ransacking the language to look for images to describe how generous God is. Let's end with this. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. You may be seated. This one's not on the screen, but some of you know the story of the prodigal son. Uh, the, The father in the story of the prodigal son represents God and his two sons. One of them comes to him and says, I'm sick of you. Give me all that you owe me. And the father gives him half of all that he has. Son runs away and lives a profligate life and and spends and abuses and and after a while it's all done and he ends up in a pigsty and he comes to his senses and he says in my father's house I could live like a servant and live better than this so he limps back home and this is the only time in all of scripture that God is pictured as running and the father runs to the son and says throw a feast Get the best clothes and and the best food and throw it on him because our God is so generous. James 1, uh, 17, Dean. Next scripture. Okay, James 1, 17 says, he gives us every good gift comes from him. Every good gift comes from the Father above. Our God is a generous God. All right, there are two critically important truths that spill out of this idea that God is so generous. Don't miss these. One, we were made in God's image. 
So we carry this generosity in our chests because he's the blueprint. And if that's how generous he is, guess what we're going to be like? We're generous. In over 70 countries, we value generosity because we were made according to the blueprint of a generous God. The second principle that spills out of this is, of course, this is why the world is designed so that givers prosper, because it was designed by a generous God. This is the way the world works. Givers ultimately gain. Life works well for givers. <coughs> givers ultimately gain. So on the one hand, it doesn't astound us that this is the way the world works for all the reasons that we just talked through. But on the other hand, this is a very astounding truth. If you really think about it for a minute, you could easily convince yourself that this is not really how the world works. I want you to think of the last time you bought a car. You didn't come out of that experience thinking, you know, givers ultimately gain. Or think about the last time you negotiated a deal at home or at work. You didn't come out of that experience and think, givers gain. That's awesome. Think of, think of the time that your neighbor did something extremely obnoxious, or they had a party late into the night, didn't tell you anything about it, and kept you awake all night long. You were not thinking givers ultimately gain. Or think of the time when you had a whole series of negative or traumatic things happen to you. you, you were not thinking givers ultimately gain. It's hard to believe that this is the way the world works in those circumstances because there's something powerful within us that works against that principle as well. While there's something in us that bends toward generosity, there's something else in us that bends toward taking care of myself. There's something that bends toward giving. There's something else that bends toward providing for myself, thinking of myself first. If I don't, no one else will. There's something very powerful within us and within everyone we know, within everyone we know that wants to get as much as we can. That's why Jesus' best friend, John, wrote this in 1 John 2.15. Dean, do we have it now? That scripture, 1 John 2.15. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. I'm going to say that again. Do not love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world, and listen to this description. It's a description of the landscape of a taker. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful person, the lust of their eyes, the boasting of what they have and do, comes not from the Father, but from the world. That is a description of the landscape, emotional and spiritual landscape of a taker. And why does John mention that? Because there's a taker in every one of us. There is within each of us something that leans toward generosity and giving, and there's something else within us that burns to take care of ourselves and get as much as we can. Listen, our culture was built, as was every culture, our culture was built by us. So it shouldn't surprise us that American business culture has been fashioned in a way that sponsors takerism because takerism created it. If you were here last week, you know that um, I did a few weeks ago uh, an interview with a, um, a venture capitalist named uh, David Hornick. He's one of the heroes of Adam Grant's book, Give and Take. And uh, I will show you more of that interview in coming weeks. One of the things I asked uh, uh, 
David Hornick was, do you think American business culture is a taker culture? And David Hornick said, of course. He said, that's even one of the, the premises of my friend Adam Grant's book. So I want to read you a section from Adam Grant's book about this. This is fascinating. Adam Grant uh, does consistent research and persistent and overwhelming research and analysis about especially business culture. But this, these same principles, of course, spill over into our lives with one another, partly because we spend so much of our time at work and partly because it's really difficult to be completely one way in one environment and then switch gears and be another way in another. So listen to this. The fear of being judged as weak or naive presents many, prevents many people from operating like givers at work. Many people who hold giver values in life choose matching as their primary reciprocity style at work, seeking an even balance of give and take. Many people who, who favor giver values will choose to be a matcher at work, he says. In one study, people completed a survey about whether their default approach to work relationships was to give, take, or match. Only 8% described themselves as givers. The other 92% were not willing to contribute more than they received at work. He goes on a little later. It's only natural to assume that peers will lean more toward taking than giving because that's the environment you're in. Quote, when they anticipate self-interested behavior from others, end quote, explains Stanford psychologist Dale Miller, people fear that they'll be exploited if they operate like givers, so they conclude that, quote, pursuing a competitive orientation is the rational and appropriate thing to do. There's even evidence, listen to this, there's even evidence that just putting on a business suit and analyzing a Harvard Business School case is enough to significantly reduce the attention that people pay to relationships and to the interests of others. Just putting on a suit and doing an analysis of a Harvard Business School case, people are less interested in the needs of others. The fear of exploitation by takers is so pervasive writes Cornell economist Robert Frank that, quote, by encouraging us to expect the worst in others, it brings out the worst in us. Dreading the role of the chump, we often loathe to heed our nobler instincts. Our jobs are often spent in atmospheres that discourage giverism. Our jobs, much of our days, are often spent in atmospheres that discourage giverism. That's why our job here is to encourage one another to resist that external influence and our own internal impulses and instead lean in the direction of giverism. All right, here's the astounding truth about the way the world works. Givers gain. It ultimately goes well for givers. This is how the world works. It really does. Now, I, just as a little more motivation for us, we don't have much time to talk about this. If we do in, a, in future weeks, we're going to spend more, on time, more time on this because this is fascinating to me. But let's, for a minute, let's talk about why. Why do, why do givers gain? And I mean this uh, apart from the fact that this is the way God has designed the world. That's ultimately why. But just practically, why 
do givers gain? And, and Grant, Dr. Grant has done considerable research on this, on why it is that the world works this way. Why givers gain? This is fascinating. Let me give you three reasons why givers actually gain in our world. Number one, the networking effect of giving. Givers' networks are larger and more resilient. They la- givers create a larger network and their networks are more resilient. So if someone has been a giver to you, then two years from now, when you know of an opportunity that might suit them, you're still going to remember them. The the networks of takers and matchers are not as resilient as the networks of givers. A second reason why givers, practical, practical reason, a second reason why givers actually gain in our world is because we get better in concert with others. Not, not so much on our own. We get better in, co- in working with others, and givers are better at those collaborative kinds of relationships. Let me explain what I mean. This is just fascinating. Uh, Dr. Grant cites uh, extensive research that's done by, done by this one researcher, um, a, a group of professors, Robert Huckman and Gary Pisano. In one study, they wanted to know whether or not surgeons got better with practice. So as surgeons do more surgery, do they get better? Uh, Since surgeons are in high demand, they perform procedures at multiple hospitals. They have, you know, a hospital or two or four that they center on, but they can also be taken to various hospitals. Over a two-year period, Huckman and Pisano tracked 38,577 procedures performed by 203 cardiac surgeons at 43 different hospitals. They focused on coronary artery bypass grafts. Now, on average, 3% of patients who have coronary artery bypass grafts pass away during surgery. So, typically, 3% pass away with this surgery across all hospitals. So, do these surgeons get better over time with practice? Fascinating. When Huckman and Pisano examined the the data, they discovered a remarkable pattern. Overall, the surgeons didn't get better with practice. They only got better at specific hospital where they practiced. For every procedure they handled at a given hospital, the risk of patient mortality dropped by close to 1%. So when they repeated the procedure at a given hospital, they got better. But when they scattered across hospitals, they didn't get any better. The surgeons couldn't take their performance with them. They weren't getting better at performing coronary artery bypass grafts. They were becoming more familiar with particular nurses and anesthesiologists, learning about their strengths and weaknesses, habits and styles. This familiarity helped them avoid patient deaths, but it didn't carry over to other hospitals. To reduce the risk of patient mortality, the surgeons needed needed to develop relationships with specific surgical teams, and that's how they got better. We get better in concert with others. And this, this, by the way, this study was duplicated across many industries. We get better in concert with others and givers tend to work better in those collaborative settings. Finally, and I have to say, selfishly, uh, this is a mean streak in me, but this is my favorite reason why givers ultimately gain. It's what I like to call the taker's tax. Givers, and especially matchers, and if there are matchers among you, and most of us are, so there are many, you will recognize this. 
Givers and especially matchers tend to punish takers. This hurts their performance ultimately. It hurts the performance of the taker and it also can hurt the performance of the person who's punishing them. Check this out. Dr. Daniel Kahneman, a Nobel Prize winning psychologist at Princeton University, designed what is called the ultimatum, ultimatum game. And it's been repeated many times. You sit at a table where a stranger has been given $10 and then he or she has to make an offer to you about how you're going to split the money. And the offer is an ultimatum. You don't negotiate. It's a take it or leave it. By the way, takers consistently offer bad deals. So when takers offer the deal, they will explain the game, they'll explain the ultimatum, and then they ultimately say, I keep seven, you take three. Or I keep eight, and you take two. Matchers and givers reject that deal 80% of the time. <laughs> they reject getting $2 for free because they're getting such a bad deal from a taker. They will, they will cost, it will cost them $2 to punish the taker. Worse, listen to this. <laughs> then then he, he ups the ante and he'll do another uh, test with the same subjects and he'll, he'll make an offer to the same group of people that you can sit down and split money evenly. Nobody makes a deal with anyone. You just split the money. If the matcher or giver knows that the deal is being made with a taker, he, d- he does this intentionally. He'll give the taker $12 and say, between you and the taker, you're going to split $12. Or between you and the matcher, you split $10. Over 80% of the time, people will choose to make the deal with the matcher or the giver. They'll forfeit a dollar just for no reason, just nothing. They don't get anything out of it. Instead of getting $6 splitting with a taker, they'll take the $5 to split with a matcher or giver just because they want to punish the taker, just because they knew that the taker made the bad deal offer in the previous deal. There's a taker tax. If you can't identify with that, then you will remember this. You will at some point. When you recognize a taker in your work environment or in your neighborhood, you'll recognize the desire in yourself to punish them. Here's the astonishing truth about the way the world works. Life goes better when we give. Now, I know there are extremely successful takers because they've got extraordinary talent. They've had great opportunity. I'm I'm here to tell you they would be even more successful if they were givers. Life works better for givers. Givers gain, not always, not in every circumstance. We're still plagued with questions like why do bad things happen to good people? But without question, over the long run, ultimately, life goes better for givers. Look, I hope it's obvious, but I'm, I'm trying to fertilize the giving soil in us. That's what this whole thing is about. Because I'm convinced, and I don't say this lightly, I'm convinced that God is calling Gateway to extraordinary giving. And I pray that we will be able to follow him. All right. Uh, You've got some homework. And I'm going to give you two assignments and one suggestion. So here are the homework assignments. Number one, come two weeks from today ready to give something to someone. 
You will have another giving exercise two weeks from today. Next week, kids will be in with us, a room full of children. It'll probably be a little too chaotic, so we will not do it next week. But two weeks from today, uh, come ready to give someone uh, something, and we'll have the exact same kind of giving exercise that we had this morning. Secondly, think of something you can give to a neighbor over the next week. Think of something that you can give to a neighbor this week. And I'm going to begin to ask for stories about that. Finally, a suggestion. I want you to consider joining us in our gratitude-like gravy effort. Now look, gratitude and generosity are first cousins. If your attitude is constantly, oh, I'm so thankful for that, it's really hard for you to be stingy. So some of the church staff thought that November would be a perfect time to launch a, a gratitude campaign. So we're doing so. We're going to try to cultivate a mindset of gratitude in ourselves over the month of uh, November. We're calling it gratitude like gravy because gratitude gets poured on everything. So think of old southern cooking when you just put ridiculous fatty gravy on everything. Well, this, this, this gravy is good for you. Uh, so there will be five prompts a week to think about. They're, they're going to be really short. They're designed to help us notice God's generosity. There are two ways to participate, and we suggest both. First, outside, pick up a gratitude jar. They're out, they're out in the lobby. If you're a paper, pencil kind of person, this is for you. So the jars, we're, we're going to give you prompts that will um, create opportunities to write a little sense or something that you're grateful for. Put it on a piece of paper, drop it in the jar. Second, you can sign up for text encouragements. These won't be every day. They'll just be three times a week. They'll, they'll include the prompts and scripture and, and a prayer every week. I know we're really busy. These texts will just be reminders to keep us on track throughout the week. So uh, to sign up for the text, uh, you can text gravy to the number that you'll see on that, um, on the stand on the paper on the table outside. So text that number, text gravy to that number, or go to mygateway.life to sign up for the text prompts. So the jar and the text prompts, and we would love for you to do both. Life goes better for givers. So let's increasingly lean into that part of ourselves, which is our giver self. Let's increasingly lean into that part of ourselves, which is designed by God to be generous. Let's lean into who God has made us to be. I'm going to ask the worship team to come circle up. I don't get to say that often. And uh, let's end this with a word of prayer. Loving Lord, I thank you that you gave. Jesus, you gave your life for us. And... Uh, Thank you. And you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And Father, I, uh, I pray that you will continue to train our hearts to be generous and train our attention toward generosity. God, show us the opportunities to step out beyond ourselves toward others. Show us the opportunities this week, Lord, to donate to volunteer, to give, to give to your causes, and uh, train our hearts to listen to you for times when you're prompting us to do just that. 
This morning we hear you. You designed the world so that givers ultimately gain. And um, Lord, we thank you for planting in us the kind of, for making in us, and now because of what's happened in Jesus, you're remaking in us the kind of people who are perfectly designed to do well in this world because we're givers. We give that to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.